0: The church around the world has not figured out yet our true identity. Hallelujah. Great. Yeah, that's what I thought. We need to know who our true identity is. So, I mean, and I thought about our city, you know, Pueblo. They People think that um, how are we going to, you want to change Pueblo. So how are we going to do that? Well, the first step in changing Pueblo or changing where we live is that you have to know who you are. You're not going to be able to change anything until you know who you are. I mean, really who you are, you know, because your parents have told you who you are. Your your friends have told you who you are. And definitely your enemies have told you who you are, maybe with some four-letter adjectives, but they've told you who you are. And your teachers have told you who you are, and, and the world tries to tell you who you are. But the problem is, with all of that going on, that's not who you are. <laughs> who you are is what God has said about who you are. But the problem with us as a church, and I'm not just talking about Rocky Mountain Family Church, but even in particularly our city, we've let people from the outside or even people we know to tell us who we are, and that's not who we are. You know, I quote T.D. Jakes. He, He said this. He says, you may have done what they said you've done, but you are not who they say you are. You're not. You know, because if I sit there and I said, who are you? You know, most of you, what would you begin to do? You begin to probably talk about your past, where you're from, and you know, I'm from Kentucky, and uh, I, you uh, in Pueblo, it's really funny. Everybody tells you what school they graduated from. I, when I was in Kentucky, I, I didn't want to know people to know where I graduated from. But anyway, I, they tell you where you what school you graduated from, and you know, which is fine, people. Okay, just everybody. Chill out. But, uh, but then you go into, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm divorced. And, and, uh, and, uh, and then somebody who, if you go back to where I was raised, they could tell you a lot of stuff about me. Then I'm thankful that none of those people live here in this <laughs> city to share with you. You may not want to come to my church. But anyway, this is the thing. They can say, well, you did this and you did that. And I was there when you did half of that stuff. I said, yeah. And so they they tried to say this is who you are because of what you have done, and we let people tell us what who we are based upon our past. But what if I told you? Tell me who you are without telling me anything about your past or anything temporal. Temporal being the fact that if you can see it, it's temporary, right? Can you tell me who you are without doing either one of those two things? Mm. Because in reality, that's who you are. That is who you are. It's not based upon what you have done, what you've accomplished even. We have to let our city, you know, there's a sphere of influence around you. Everywhere you go, you have a sphere of influence. And God wants to use your sphere of influence to change the places that you go. The work, the grocery store, wherever you go, you bring about an an atmosphere. You know, the word apostle, uh, we know that as a religious term but in reality the word apostle was not a religious term the word apostle was used by the Greeks the Greeks uh, would have apostle means simply sent one and the Greeks would have an apostle that they would choose that would leave their kingdom from which they are living And they would send them to a kingdom that they want to conquer, to overcome. And with that apostle, they would furnish them everything that they needed, all the power, all of the goods, all the resources to do just that, to conquer that city. But not only did they provide them the means to conquer that city, they just didn't want to conquer it. The apostle had two major responsibilities. First, he was to make sure that the enemy was totally subdued. That was the number one. The second thing, though, was that, now listen, this is good. He was supposed to take the culture from the kingdom where he came from and cause it to be the culture which he just overcame. Did you get that? Jesus is our great Apostle, he came from heaven, he subdued the enemy, defeated him. But then he started walking about, training 12 disciples, and everywhere he went, he brought the kingdom, the culture of where he left, and established it everywhere he went. That's why all the religious people were ticked at him. Well, you're not. This is not the way religion. This is not. This is not how we do church around here. But the goal was, and you say, uh, Pastor, what, are you are you trying to tell me that you want Pueblo to be like heaven?" Not only am I telling you that that is the will of God. How do you know? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In Pueblo, not just earth, and I don't just make a generic thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Pueblo, Colorado, as it is in heaven. Woo! That's the will of your Father. And I have just enough audacity to speak that out and let everybody know that's His will for Pueblo. His will is not to be, a, you know, a, a subpar city. A city that's that's just wallowing in sin and you know and people will tell me that say well pastor you you don't know everything that's going on in our city because you know the crime is just escalating. I mean you go to certain parts of the town, you could get stabbed, you could get shot, and you could get, I mean, they'll do everything to you. All that there's stuff happening. I'm glad you brought that up because the word of God says where sin does abound. Grace, grace. It doesn't just barely over exceed the sin. It far superabounds the sin where the devil. So, you know what I'm saying? Devil, you're seeing your last days in our city. We can just roll over and just say, well, you know, this is just life. This is just what happens. This is just what happens when, when marijuana is legalized. That's just what happens. Well, I do know this. You get a whole city saved, nobody's going to want to buy the pot. What do you think is going to happen to all these pot farms? You better look for another occupation. What's going to happen when people get saved and turned on to Jesus, to our city? You don't have to worry about legalizing this. They can legalize prostitution. They can legalize every sin known. They can legalize everything. But if nobody wants to do it, it really doesn't matter what they legalize. So I'm happy (laughs) to be in this city at this particular time because such is a time and a place that God has placed you and me. And listen, it's going to take the church, not just Rocky Mountain Family Church, it's going to take the church to transform people's lives and to let them know, you know, I mean, when we, when well, I didn't, but they would teach us when I was growing up in church, you know, to evangelize. And this is what we do. You're going to hell, you know, and you're going to hell and you're going to, you know. And that was supposed to be some kind of good news. I don't know, but <laughs> people ran by the thousands and they weren't running to church. They were running from church. But you know what the good news is for the world? Your sins have been forgiven. What you've tried to run from, what's been keeping you in condemnation and guilt, you've been forgiven. All you have to do is receive the payment because it's been paid in full. It has been stamped by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, paid in full. And the good news is God loves you. He's for you, not against you. I'm telling you, we need to get the gospel out in our city. We need to let them know. People need to know that God loves them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, this is a new translation that uh, I just found out about it a couple of years ago. It's called the Passion Translation. If you're not familiar with it, you are now. This is what it says in verse 16. The unbelievers... Smell a deadly stench that leads to death. Who does that? Unbelievers. But believers smell the life-giving aroma that leads to abundant life. So if you are a believer in our city or anywhere you go, there is a sweet aroma. And it's the aroma that leads to abundant life. So everywhere you go, you don't need to say, well, man, this is a bad part of town. Boy, it really stinks around here. Oh, honey, you just don't know. Because if you're a believer, there's no stink around you. Because it says the unbelievers have the stench of death. But for you and me, we have the smell of life. Everywhere you go. That's why I said you have a sphere of influence. You can influence people just by you showing up. Just by being there. Then it goes on to say, and who of us can rise to this challenge? For unlike so many, we're not peddlers of God's word who water down the message. We are those sent from God. What does that sound like? Sent from God. Sounds like what the apostle was doing. You and I are the apostles in this city. What does that mean? We're taking, oh hallelujah, we're taking the culture of heaven. Our citizenship is of heaven. We're taking the culture of heaven and we're bringing it down and establishing the same exact culture of heaven right here where you and I live. You. <laughs> and you say, oh, I don't know I can do that. We can't. But that's why the apostles by the Greeks, they gave them all of the authority that the king and everybody was in charge, they had all authority as the nation they came from. So how are you and I going to make a difference? Because all of the power, Ephesians 3.20, I think that's where it's at. God will do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power that is in heaven. No, 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 no. It doesn't say according to the power it's in heaven. According to all the power that is In us. So you and I have the power because it's been granted by our king. And it's been granted for the purpose to establish the same culture of heaven right here in our city. So most Christians would agree with this. Is there any poverty in heaven? Most Christians, I don't care what their background is. They would say, no, there's no poverty in heaven. How about sickness? Any sickness in heaven? No, no sickness in heaven. Any depression in heaven? No. Anything bad in heaven? No, 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 no. But you know, we live in Pueblo. <laughs> and it's hell on earth here. Well, it may be, but your heavenly Father has a will. I'm wanting to know, as a believer, are you willing to hook up with that will how can two walk together unless they agree let's quit disagreeing and let's start agreeing let's start agreeing with what God's will is for our city, people say well I don't know what this, the will is, he, he says thy kingdom come thy will be done find out what the will is in heaven and you'll find out what the will is for Pueblo Whoa! aren't you thankful you live here Makes me feel sorry for everybody who lives in Kansas. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. That's a joke. That's a joke. It's a joke. But I am thankful that I live here and not there. But anyway, if I was called there, I'm sure I would love Kansas. Maybe tougher to get. No, I'm kidding. But And that story of Cinderella last week, you know, I feel like the Lord gave me that illustration. In that story of Cinderella, you know, she was dressed in rags, and she had dirt and everything, soot all over her, and that's why she was called Cinderella. But um, all of a sudden, when she found out that she had a place to go, all of a sudden, she was just doing her routine, daily chores, and life is life as it is. But all of a sudden, when she found out there was a destination, a place for her to go, she got cleaned up and changed. Why? Because she was going somewhere. I believe for our city to know that we're going somewhere, we have to know that we got to get cleaned up. And how are we going to get cleaned up? Well, most people say, well, we just need to quit doing this and quit sinning and quit doing that. No, that's not how you get cleaned up. There's only one way to get cleaned up. When you get born again, your Heavenly Father puts a robe on us. And it's not just any ordinary robe. It's a robe of righteousness. It causes you and me to be able to go boldly into the throne of grace. No matter what's going on in our life, you have a robe that says, I belong here. Did you hear me? You have a robe that's on you that you need to know that you have. Because like I said, the world will say, well, Mike, I know you did this and you did that. And oh, my goodness, you did this. Yeah. But that man was crucified. And I'm a new man now with new clothes. And just like Cinderella had a destination, you and I have been given a robe of righteousness because God... ...has a destination for us. And the thing with, with Cinderella, she says, we, but how can I get there? And that's just like maybe you and I. How are we going to get or how are we going to fulfill our destination? How are we going to get there? Well, there is a great imagination in that story. There was mice running along. And uh, they became these beautiful stallion horses that just anybody would want. And then all of a sudden, a pumpkin became this beautiful, romantic carriage. Men, hang with me now. I know some of you just checked out. Just hang with me. (laughs) This beautiful, romantic carriage. Now there's transportation. But it wasn't just transportation to take you anywhere. It was transportation to take them to the prince, where she knew when she got there, she would have the favor of the prince. And all of a sudden when she got there, everybody was, you know, dancing in the party. Just life was going on. But when she showed up, when she showed up, the prince was just greeting people and everything. But when she showed up, the rest of the crowd disappeared. And all of a sudden, Cinderella was the only one who was in existence. His eyes made eye contact with her. And everybody realized, everybody noticed that as far as the prince was concerned, nobody else existed. He was just fastened on her. And so it parted, and there was a way for her to go straight to him. And I just thought, that is you and me. We have the favor of Almighty God. And I'm telling you, wherever you go, the favor of God, not just is upon you. I thought, yeah, that's good. Not the No, this is what God does. When you show up anywhere and everywhere, this is what your heavenly Father does. The rest of the world, the rest of the people that you're with, they're just zoned out, and his total focus is on you. You say, now, Pastor... Now, wait just a minute. What if you and I are showing up at the same time? (laughs) (coughs) Well, you're going to get zoned up. No, I'm just... But this is why God is God. You say, how can this be? When you show up, all of his attention is... Exactly upon you. His favor, his presence, everything. His focus is exactly on you. But while you're sensing that and that's happening to you, the person who's right beside you is experiencing the same thing. When I was in Kentucky, a friend of mine, he said, Mike, I had the strangest vision, dream. I don't know which one it was. And you may have heard me tell it before, but it's worth hearing it again. He said, I was in heaven and there was Billions of people just as far as a sea of people. And Jesus was, his back was turned to us and he was walking up the thro- to the steps to sit on his throne. And halfway up to the throne, he turned around and he looked at me eye to eye. I mean, we made eye contact. Uh, those billions of people, he just looked at me Mike. I thought, holy cow. He picked me. He's looking at me. Uh. But then he said he got the revelation. All of those billions of people experience the exact same thing. (laughs) You say, how can he do that? He's God. He can do that. He's God. But that's how he looks at you. You're not one in a billion. You are the one. I don't believe you got it. I said, you are the one that he's taking notice of today. Right now, you are the one. And when you know that, it will change your life just how you conduct yourself. Man, you're knowing your true identity. That's who I'm a child of God. I am the apple of his eye. Did you get that? I said, I am the apple of his eye. The thing is, do you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe that? Because that's the way he's looking at you. Every day, every waking moment, that is the way he's looking at you. You're my. You're precious. Above everybody else, you're the one. It'll change the way that you think about yourself. Well, you know, I'm just a nobody. I'm just this and I'm just that. Our choices and our actions are just merely reflections of what we see on the inside of us. The way that you live your life, the choices you make, your actions are just merely of the reality that you believe inside of your mind. What we need to do is to change that picture to the picture of that God. He's got a photograph of you and he says, this is the way that I see you perfect, this is the way I see you, sinless, this is the way I see you, child of the most high God, the same way that God the Father sees Jesus, I know this may get like a chicken bone in your throat right now, but here we go, the same way that God the Father sees Jesus is the exact same way that he sees you. Not any difference whatsoever. Man, that just makes you want to melt, doesn't it? How can how can that be? It's called the love of God. I truly believe the more that we love is, is such a, oh yeah, I love, God loves me, I know. No, 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 no. When we understand how much to the degree that your Heavenly Father loves you, When you start understanding that at a greater degree, it will elevate you above all of your insecurities, above all of the lives, above everything that anybody's told you. It will elevate you to a higher place that you'd never dreamed that you thought you could be. There's only one way to get there. It's not trying to be better. It's understanding how much God loves you. It's how... Because, you see, I was taught that, you know, if you want to get closer to God, you know if you'll just do this and be more perfect, you'll get you'll be closer to God. And if you just try harder and just and you know just Michael, if you just cut out those little sins, you'll be closer. and then by the oh by somehow magical, merciful, who knows that you just are perfect that day, you'll be close to God. So I don't know about you, but you know I, I couldn't do. Everything perfect, so I was felt a little further away. And then, Lord, how mercy, some days it was just not able to do hardly anything. And then there's those days where you just think you're a sin on a popsicle stick, you know what I mean? <laughs> you ever been there? I mean, every, I mean, just your mind's flooded with th- evil thoughts, there's nothing good going on, and so you just you just jump in the mud hole and just say, "I'm muddy and proud of it." And so that's you just accept that. Kind of like what Pueblo has done. Yeah. Kind of what our city's done. Well we just that's just who we are. There's Denver, and there's Springs, and then there's Pueblo. <laughs> but this is what God says. This is what you're telling. I sent Jesus so that I would see you and you would be here all the time, right here. Right here. But Lord, what, what if I do those things that, that, that just quite aren't pleasing, you know, and I just mess up? I see you right here. Listen to me. The picture that you have, the reality that you have, is what you're going to gravitate towards unconsciously. Listen to me. This, this is worth coming to church for right there. This just bless my socks off. Who I think and what I think the reality is inside here. Effortlessly. My life will automatically gravitate towards that. This is why it's vitally important you see who you are in Christ. First Corinthians chapter 6 says he is joined to the Lord is one spirit. One with God. The same stuff That God is, is inside of you. The spiritual man is 100% just like Jesus. The problem is, we're over here trying to say, well, you know, this is the way life is, and, and this is really who I am. And so, this is the reality you have in your mind. And so, what happens? Effortlessly, you gravitate towards that just to give it a better picture, instead of this, the reality of what God says you are, effortlessly you gravitate away from that to what you think is reality. It doesn't take any effort. How I many you know it doesn't take much effort to sin? You don't have to go get up in the morning and go, I'm going to really try hard today to sin. <laughs> I'm going to try. No, it's effortlessly. God wants you and me to know who we are Who we really are. Why? Because effortlessly you will gravitate to the reality that is in your mind. So, this may not be the best way, but I've come up with something. Did did everybody get one of these? that says, my true identity. Everybody get one of these? No? No? Raise your hand if you didn't get one. One, two, three. He's got something to give out. There's about 20-something bullet points here. The first one says, I am in complete right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. So this is what I'm going to do. I challenge you to do it. Just take that first bullet point When you get up in the morning, write it down, go to that scripture, write the scripture down, and throughout the whole day, just think about, meditate upon that. Just have one thing. How many know you're thinking about something all the time? The majority of the time, it's negative stuff. So if you can replace this in your mind, who You really are. The second day, God looks at me the same way he looks at Jesus. John 17, 23. What are we trying to do here? We're trying to create the true reality, the true you inside your mind so you have the reality of who you are so effortlessly. You don't have to, I just need to try harder. You try harder. You try harder. Most Christians live like that and fail miserably. And then what do they do? What do we do? We feel condemned. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. I'm a worm. And and then it goes downhill from there. No. You have to create a different reality in your mind. The reality that your Heavenly Father sees you. He sees you differently than what you see and what everybody else sees and what everybody else has told you. Look at Paul. Paul. That dude had hell on earth. And he says, thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. I mean, it makes me want to think, liar, liar, pants on fire. Man, you you aren't triumphant. Yes, he was. He was. He didn't let circumstances dictate or tell him who he was. He turned it around and says, I'm doing the dictating. It's time that the church starts doing the dictating. Starts saying who we are because words they're just like rockets. They will launch you into what reality really is. Your words were. So what you're going to do is not you're not just going to learn that, but you're going to talk about it. Speak it. Why? Faith comes by Hearing. So you hear yourself speaking what what you're reading here, and all of a sudden things start taking hold inside of you. It's not going to be an overnight process. It's not going to be overnight that our city gets changed, but I'm telling you, our city is going to change. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. God has created you. You are, that word workmanship, it's, if you study that word out, it's the same. We get the word poem. In the Greek, poem comes from that. But it's also just masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. It's one thing to be created something, but it's another thing to be, you're the masterpiece. What does that mean? You are, ooh, you're the, you know, you're the Mona Lisa of all the collection. Oh, Da Vinci could pick one thing now if he was alive and saw all of his work. Everybody know there's one masterpiece, which it's the Mona Lisa. Prized above all paintings, just about, you know, and it's the masterpiece. And that's what? God has said about all of us. You're the masterpiece. Look at the Amplified Version. It says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So what God is saying, you're over here because of the reality that you've made in your mind. But I predestined, before you were even born, to be in the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who I see you as. So I predestined for you to be like Him. So this is what you need to do. Change the reality that's in your mind to be like that and you will automatically gravitate toward that day by day. Works by works will not be works. It will be just because it's the fruit of what you know who you are. I'll say it again. The works you do will be the fruit of what you know who you are. Instead of going, I just need to visit the poor. I just need to help people. Instead of saying, y'all just go to hell. (laughs) No. There won't be any work in that. So, can you describe who you are? Without talking about your past. Talking about anything temporal. This sheet's going to help us. I I know that I found this app. It's called Scripture Typer. It's a free app. We live in a phone society. This is the free app, ScriptureTyper.com. You can download that if you have Android or uh, iPhone. You can do it on your laptop or whatever. But it helps me memorize Scripture. You say, why is that important? I want to know who I am by heart. David said, I hide the Word of God in me. It's in my heart. So you and I need to get this in us. And one way is to memorize it, to learn it, who you are. We have to do something that is, we have been planted for decades in our mind, lies. Lies. Well, you know, you don't have enough education. And dear Lord, we know you don't have the looks. So, you know, just, just suffer through this life and just do the best you can. That's not the will of God. I know everybody's not created beautiful, but everybody's created in the beauty of God. There will be people that take advantage of you. There will be people that lie to you. There will be people that mistreat you. So what do you do? I know one thing. Don't ever let the devil put you in the victim mentality. You know they did this to me, and this is why and this is why I am where I am because of this and because of that. Well, you've been seated at a higher place that no victim can live. seated at the right hand of Almighty God. Pueblo needs to ha- to take out of its repertoire that we are just a victim of our own circumstance. We're just a victim here. no, we're not. I refuse. I refuse to have that kind of mentality or live in a city that will embrace that. No, we're not going to embrace that. Can I get an amen? amen. Romans eight twenty nine. I was looking at this and I thought, well, I'm just going to read this verse. And I go, oh, the next one's really good. And I thought, oh, the next scripture is really, oh. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter because I couldn't stop. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning for ordaining them. We're talking about Pueblo here. To be molded into the image of his son. (laughs) That's what he wants everybody to see. To be molded into the image of his son and share inwardly his likeness. So I dare you say that you're a victim. I dare you say you don't amount to a much. I dare you have a mentality, well, I just aren't that kind of a special person. I don't have the education. I dare you say that after reading this. The very likeness of God is inside of you. I dare you say that. That's a spit in the face of God. Ooh, I'm getting bold here. Come on now. That stinking thinking and those words coming out of our mouth got to stop. That was just a little bit of righteous ruffling of feathers. Verse 30. And those whom he thus foreordained, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. He acquitted, he made righteous, putting them into right standing with himself. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Raising them to a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. That's how we have to see our city. That's how we have to see our family. That's how we have to see our kids. How? Seeing them in a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. If you don't see that, you need to get new glasses. What then shall we say to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If all of the... People in our city come against this. There's one slight technicality. It's just like David. They're uncircumcised. They're not covenant people. We have a covenant of God. You're done. You're toast. We're going to win this thing. Because of him. Who can be our foe if God is on our side? He who did not withhold or spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all other things? What he's saying is here, anything you need to change a city. <laughs> anything you need to change your life. Anything you need to change your health, your finances, your attitude. Anything you need to change. He said, I have freely given it to you. Just like the apostle Anything you need to take over the city, it will be amply supplied to you. And you have all authority of me to do it. We have the authority to change the city. Not only if we bring in the authority, every means of resources and everything else is at our disposal. That'll make it choke in your throat. You got to see that though. I'm telling you. This is some heavy stuff today, or is it just me? I'm not that heavy, so it's heavy. Anyway, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect when it is God who justifies? That is, who puts us in right relation to himself. Who shall come forward and accuse or impeach those whom God has chosen? Will God who acquits us? Who is there to condemn us? Will Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who died or gathered, who was raised from the dead, who's at the right hand of God and actually pleading as He intercedes for us? He's saying here, don't ever let anybody put you in a state of condemnation. Don't ever let anybody put you in a state of guilt. So when I go to Denver or when I go to Springs or I go to any place where they say you're from, I'm from Pueblo, Colorado, and I throw my shoulders back and be proud of it because God is in this city. And listen to me, it doesn't matter what people think about you, it's what you think about you. The whole planet can think you're nothing but dumb stuff. I couldn't think of a word, that's the only word I could think. The whole world, your mother and your father, your brothers and your sisters and everybody, everybody could be thinking that. But that won't change a thing until you believe that. It's what you believe and what you think about yourself that's going to change your destiny. Where are we at? 35. Who shall separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering, affliction, tribulation, calamity, distress, persecution, hunger, destitution, peril, sword. Even as it is written for thy sake we are put to death all the day long. We are regarded and counted sheep for the slaughter. That's the way people may look at you. But verse 37, this is what he said. Yet amid all these things... We are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. You know, there's not a little asterisk beside that that says, unless you live in Pueblo. Now, I'm not trying to be funny here, but that you, people put asterisks by what they believe. This will work in Pueblo. It'll work in the Congo. It'll work in Somalia. It'll work in Iraq. It'll work in Iran. It, God is just waiting for somebody to see and get a different picture, to grab a hold of who their true identity is, instead of being like Jason Bourne, letting everybody tell you who you are, who you are. You're this, and you're this, and you've done this, and this is who you really are. God is waiting for the church to rise up and say, I know who I am, and I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God because I am his beloved, and he is mine. He's waiting for the church to rise up and know their true identity so they can have the same likeness as He has. And He knows he, He's put it in you. But He's waiting for you and me to see it so it will be effortlessly, you're going to gravitate towards that every day of your life. Once you know it, it's just going to be an automatic thing. This is just the way who I am. This is I don't have to try to... You know, I think I'm going to try to be Mike Davis today. I'm going to work on it. I got to make sure the the hair stays reddish as much reddish can be. I got got to make sure I stay five foot nine and with cowboy boots closer to five ten and a half. <laughs> and that's why I wear them. I got to make sure I, I do everything I can to be Mike Davis. Now, somebody look at me at that, they go, "You need an appointment with me." <laughs> no, you don't have to try to be. I don't have to try to be Mike Davis. It's who I am. I don't have to try to be a Christian. Yep. Amen. I don't have to try to be righteous. don't have to try to be holy. Yeah. Amen. I don't have to try. I don't have to try because I am that I am that I am. That's why God told Moses, Listen, I'm not going to try to explain to you who I am. I am that I am that I am. Okay, just take that. You know, I, what? Say that one more time. I am that I am that I am. What does that mean? I am everything that you need for me to be. What do you need today? Because God says, if I've given you Jesus, I've given you everything. Oh, Oh, this is good stuff. We are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. I am persuaded beyond doubt. This is why Paul had victory. Beyond doubt, am sure that neither death nor life, angels, or principalities, nor things impending and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or death, anything else in creation will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll close with this. Mountain climbers say this. Don't look where you don't want to go. Just think about it a little bit. If you're a mountain climber, you're not supposed to be looking where you don't want to go. So what does the devil get the church to do? Look at your back, your past, and look at this, and look at the wrong that you're doing here. And you're looking at the he's constantly getting Christians to look where they don't want to go. Why? Because that's where you're gonna to gravitate toward. So we get all religious and and preach, don't do this and don't. And to get your focus and attention on that and what happens, everybody gravitates toward that. We should be at least as smart as a mountain climber. You know, where are you looking? I'm looking up. Why? Because that's where I'm going. My destination is up. So you see somebody that's what beside you and they're looking at you. Hey, what are you doing? Stop that. Quit looking at your past. Quit looking at what you've done. Look up. David even said that. He says, why so downcast all oh, my soul? He says, why are you even discouraged? He says, you're a heavenly father. God is the lifter of my head. Everything God is, you should be looking up. Yeah. Don't look where you don't want to go. Look where you do want to go. So, what future do you believe to be real inside? What future do you believe to be real for you? Because God has predestined it for it to be in Christ in his likeness. That's who you are. But what do you see? This is going to help us to see something differently. We got to see something differently. Why? Because God says, I've got a carriage like no other. I've got horses like no other. It's going to take you to a destination like no other. Because you have favor with the prince, with the king of kings like no other. Amen? Let's stand.